Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina and this is another journey into creative ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. You would have noticed I said creative ideas and not creative business ideas. Well, today we are looking more at the creative industry, in particular music, and even more specifically, that feeling of exhaustion, lack of motivation and productivity that us, as creatives, sometimes experience. It is a modern day phenomenon, which we don't always recognize when we suffer from it. And sometimes we just don't want to admit when we are feeling it. We normally call it burnout. Joining me today is someone whom I've previously called a prominent figure in the Northeast music industry. And I still think he is, even though he might describe himself differently. David Saunders, web editor at NARC magazine, band member, band founder, promoter, manager, and the general go-to person when you want advice on music-related business. I've briefly interviewed him before about his role at NARC, and during the interview we touched on burnout, a hot topic, something I've experienced, something he's experienced. But this is not just about burnout, though. With David's passion for music, and especially the promotion of local music, he'll also elaborate more on some of the other things he does and just generally talk about breaking what is expected and going for it, putting yourself out there as an artist. Welcome to the show, David. Hello, Katrina. How are you doing? You okay? Yes, not too bad. We're recording on a Friday, so almost weekend. Hello. Now, we've tried this before in the previous interview, and we're going to try it again. Yeah. To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called The Burning Man. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Okay. Um, yes. Last time, as I think I mentioned, I felt I was a bit too... Um, I tried to do it off the cuff. This time, I've not, but if it goes wrong, then it'll just hurt me this time because I have actually tried. I spent a few minutes before trying to write one. So, are you ready? It goes... Um, <clears throat> Flames of passion attempted to light the way, but when those flames burn uncontrollably, they become all-consuming, leaving one man to journey across the scorched earth that he once perceived as fertile lands. David Saunders is a performer, promoter, and music activist no more. Now he is the burning man. Excellent. Now it's just up to you to make that film. <laughs> I will, I'll make it. Part one. What does it mean to be involved in the music industry? As a member of several bands, most notably the previous Goy Boy McCroy and Black Sheep Frederick Dickens, you have played increasingly a key role in the promotion of local music. I originally interviewed you about your involvement in NARC, as mentioned, but you also work for the Tease Music Alliance. Firstly, what did you originally envision for your life? Um, well, I was from a background which didn't really have um, anyone envisaging anything. Um, it's fine. I had a, a mom who was just letting, she didn't really put any pressure on me. She said, just basically do what you want. And I had a dad who just had all these unrealistic money-oriented goals. So I just basically, I always just had a sort of, it was very, it wasn't very clear, but just uh, I wanted to be somewhere in between where I could earn a living 
but be sort of happy and not feel too constrained for example i don't know but like i didn't want to be a banker or anything like that but i wanted happiness was my main goal like that's what my mom's always put forward just be happy do what you want dad was like make sure you make money and i just wanted to be somewhere in the middle i also thought that was a good middle ground i was always a performer of such uh, whether it be sports i was always like the, the class clown um music i did like singing from sort of 14 so i was always um I always wanted to be a performer, but it wasn't something that you could ever envisage. There was no paths to that, really. Um, there was no one that I knew who was making money. Uh, there was people who sang in clubs and made a bit of money singing Martin McCutcheon, but there was no one who made money from the creative industries, either as a performer or in the industry. It was just you sort of get a steady job, a job that has, uh, you can get promoted with. So I, in that respect, I never really envisaged anything to do with the arts. It was something that I always wanted to do because I always, and a lot of teachers or in every report or open, they always said, oh, David will be on TV or David will be doing this or like David entertains, he'll be doing something in entertainment. But, and I always just, I never took it seriously. So for me, uh, and this is, this is, this is, this is the thing that I always, if I had to have a career ambition, I actually wanted to be a relationship psychologist, uh, like a counsellor or something like that, because I really I loved... did not expect that. No, no, neither did my dad when I told him. I really love interpersonal relationship. I like, I like, I like to watch them. I like to see how people interact. I really like. I am a people person. I really enjoy being around people, and I really I enjoy all sorts of interaction as well. I don't really take offence to very much because I just I, I thought of just look at it as that, but like as an interaction, as an actual thing, an event, as opposed to maybe the context of it or the emotion behind it. I like, I love watching how people tick and how it bounces off people. And I think it's great. And it, I'd never wanted it for manipulation purposes. I just, I just wanted people to, to better interact with people. And that sounds like a really sort of, I know, like a hippie, um, humanistic sort of goal, but I just what I wanted is just people to sort of interact and engage with each other better. So I thought the best way to do that would be a relationship psychologist. Um, did you go into that as a career or was it just? It was, I did, I did, I went to study psychology and that's as far as it went. I right. just literally used oh. anything I've studied with psychology. I just did, just once again, it was just like, then what do I do? I think if I would now, if I would come out, if I, if I was me and I went back in time, I could do it because I have the, I have that, mm -hmm. I know now, I, I feel like it was always felt like there's barriers and ceilings when I was younger and now. Because I understand a bit more about life. I feel that I could just, they, they would be irrelevant. Um, but just that was the perception. Um, just probably from the background, I was from council state background. Like it wasn't, there was no one breaking these barriers for me. Um, I've had to sort of break yeah. them myself now. And I feel like if I went back in time, I would have the best. I would just set up a lovely little um, clinic in town. And it as well, it's, it's big business now. I mean, with dating apps and, and um, it's, it's, it's a shit. It's, it's stupid. Like telling my family then, that's what I wanted to do. Where's the money in that? I think they were like, oh, you should be like occupational therapist, which is not, it's completely different. But like, I think I could have, I could have done well. I could have made some money in a good career. And you look at the way that was social app, uh, dating apps and um, social media and, and, and um, reality TV, everything is about interaction. So yeah, and maybe another me in a parallel universe, alternate dimension will be enjoying that lifestyle. And I would love to meet him one day when, I don't know, after I die, whether that's something you do, you can just visit one of you have parallel alternate realities. I'll do that and I'll see what it's like. Um, the other future. Yeah, but uh, no regrets, but I won't dwell too long. But yeah, yeah. That, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I envisaged. Great. 
So secondly, can you take us back, and maybe you have taken us back already a bit, but a couple of years before your active involvement in the music industry, what was life like 10 years ago? Might be more, I don't know. 10 years, I look back, it, it was awful. Like There was sort of like two periods of life living up to leading up to what I do now. And the first was I, I fell for it. I fell for the for the 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 bruise, the the prescriptive nature of life. And I got a job and I became a production planner in an aerospace company, uh, which was decent money. Could have I could have gone worked around the world if I wanted to. I had the house, the partner that was a childhood sweetheart who I'd completely grown apart from, but we just kept together because that's what you did. You stayed together the dogs uh yeah and it was it was rubbish it was, it was planned i didn't like it at all i thought i thought people when i tell people about my past life they're like well why did you get rid of that and it was just absolutely bland i couldn't it couldn't be any further and it just made me really sad the whole thing made me sad so coming out of the relate i lost my well i lost my job and i um broke up my relationship pretty much the same time so then it was like a clean slate but i say clean slate it was a clean slate during the economic crash i was unemployed for ages for absolutely ages no one believed that i was looking for work i was looking for work i felt a lot of pressure stress pressure stress um i felt very sort of um what's the word very little worth or value to my uh, to me and um that's when i just I, I i got sent by the the recruitment people to a fish factory um out in leeming which took 90 minutes to get there and back uh, taking two buses um and it was just abs- and then i just walked away from it and they were like oh we're going to sanction you and i went just sanctioned me and I was at the absolute bottom, bottom of the barrel. There was nowhere, there was, it felt like there was no cliff edge now, I was off. And and I just felt that I could just do, it was really liberating, it was the best thing. And that, it was awful at the time, it was awful at the time. Um, but in hindsight, it was the most liberating thing because fear is what has always kept me on track. Fear is the reason that a lot, and not just me, a lot of people, I wanna be this, I wanna be that, why don't you, I can't. I have an auntie who's a brilliant cake maker, said why don't you set up a job as a cake maker no there's all like and i just was like why don't you because people just don't see it as realistic they, they don't follow the path no. because fear keeps them in line keeps them in check it's a fantastic um fantastic narrative that's been inculcated in society throughout thousands of years that do not follow your dreams because the fear this is what will happen uh, unemployment you lose your house you'll have no respect you won't be able to get these lovely products so once that had gone, it was brilliant. And then I literally just started, um, I asked around a few sort of venues. Weirdly enough, I'll tell, I will give credit to, there was this one boy called Christopher Wilson, Chris Wilsden, Wilsden. And, and uh, he said, do you want to do a little music night in my bar? And then I said, yes. Were you musically tra- trained? Like, did you play an instrument? I su- assume you did. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm honestly, oh, okay. I, I got, there was no money for that. There was no, no one played instruments where I was from. Okay. And that's why I've come. I, um, I started singing just because I wanted to get involved and it was the easiest way to do it. So I literally taught myself to sing um, the best I could just so it was, it could hold a note. Uh, and then I was always in a creative writing. So it just worked out. I mean, once again, through the years, I'm a little bit more musically minded. It's just one of them, yeah. So with like with the with the band stuff, I was always doing that. So like ten years ago, I was in a band called um, Goy Boy McElroy that I just started up. I went on to have quite good relative success. So my music, I had a band called the Felons before that, who had some dealings with some big labels when that A and R was a thing. And then yeah, like more recently, the Black Sheep for Dickens. And um, so I've always musically, I've always, and it's weird that, that I've not really sort of mentioned that in this whole thing because. 
I didn't see it as part of, that was a separate thing. That was an escape from life. My music's always been an escape from life. And I don't care if it made money or it didn't make money. I was successful or wasn't successful. I've always enjoyed it. It's always had that cathartic element. It's a great escape. And so we got all these things that I've gone through. It's it's just, it's always been there for me. And I absolutely love it from school when I couldn't play sport because I broke my leg to when I was uh, working for like making plenty of money to when I had no money um, to being young, old, uh, to being up, down. It's always had somewhere that I could go. So yeah, when, when I started, so I started doing the music events just because I love music. And I thought, well, there was nothing on in Darlington where I was from, so wouldn't it be good to, to do some stuff? So I did one. I started doing that one for Chris, and it was just like an open mic night, really. But then that gave me the – because I've always been, as I say, I've always been a band so since I was 14, so I understood the industry through being a part of it, and I never really thought of that. That was – you look at a lot of people now who do degrees and events and, and stuff like that. I was doing learning the same things they were learning, but I was learning by being a part of it, and – it was good then to sort of, there was no pressure, there was nothing on in Darlington. So I thought, well, I'll just give it a go. And that was successful that night. And then I asked other bars, another bar said, yeah, no worries. And then just started doing stuff from there, really. And then I just felt free, like working from home. And I just tried to make sure that I had little jobs that paid that paid the bills. Yeah. And it just gave me the freedom to go and do, yeah, it just started to gradually just get bigger and bigger. What an inspirational journey in the sense that, I mean, like, it's so difficult to make those decisions to break with what's expected and the norm, if you like. So that is good to hear that you've done. I don't blame people. I, I, I was there yeah. and, and I, I just, yeah, I guess everyone can't just break free because you just have no, no. opinion or people working in shops or bankers or like everyone just can't just say, oh, I'm <laughs> Everyone can't just say, okay, well, I'm not working. Yeah. And it isn't for everyone, but I just feel that, that some people who want to are just—it's that prison of fear, and I know that's a bit mm-hmm. cliche, but that's what I feel sometimes. And I was part of it, and just by having absolutely nothing, it allowed me to to just to clean slate. It was great. It was on a blank sheet of paper. Do what you want, and it's the first time in my life I did that, and it was great. And I also met my partner then, and she was very supportive as well. So uh, I'll give her um, okay. I, the new relationship that was in. It just all worked out. It all worked out fine. That's great. You are known to have some insider knowledge of a recent and rather mysterious addition to the Northeast music scene, Wax Heart Sodality. They're a self-proclaimed secret organization who keep to themselves while producing soothing psychedelic twists to garage rock motives and freely explore some questions of our society. So the bands that you associate with seem to have a certain edge and inkling to experiment. For anyone who plays music or is just in would like to be involved in it, there is usually a moment when they think, this is it, this is what I want to do. Did this happen to you? Was there a moment when you thought, well, this is it, this is my new life? Uh, there was two moments, both at school. Um, there was one which I wasn't a part of. I was passive. And um, school, I was the school I went to, Longfield School, were very good. Uh, once again, I'll, they have mass credit to to where I am in terms of sport. I never played sport uh, before I went to secondary school. I loved sport when I was at Longfield. And the other thing they allowed was the creative element. 
some great teachers and they would let you use facilities after school or set up your own clubs and it was absolutely fantastic so there was two things they used to let there used to be for some reason there was always a lot of bands in school in uh, my safety school and one of the bands that was playing they used to when there was a, like a leavers assembly before people left to go to GCCs they would get one of these school bands to play for the um the kids and uh, I walked past, uh, it wasn't my Leavers Assembly and I wasn't performing, but I walked past the Leavers do and I just saw the band that were playing and I saw the reaction of the crowd and I just went, wow, that's great. And in particular, the singer, and weirdly enough, the singer, um, I, don't, I don't know whether I should mention this, but I had a fight with him later on in life and I didn't dare say that he was like an inspiration. So he's, he's not going to he's not gonna be mentioned then no, by name. We had a fight in town and it was, yeah. I felt really bad afterwards because I, like, watching him, even though he wasn't like, he never went on to do anything outside of school, but he was one of the yeah. triggers where I thought, I'll have some of that, I'll do some of that. So... The next thing was, is as I mentioned previously, I used to play a lot of sport for, uh, for all the sort of school teams, really enjoyed it, loved it. And um, I broke my leg. Uh, oh, no, it was my arm. It was broke my arm, saving a penalty, which was um, that's a different story. We'll do a sports uh, podcast one time, Katarina. Yeah. Didn't um, realise we could do one. I couldn't play football. I couldn't play anything. I couldn't play anything. So mm-hmm. I'm one of these people, I can't do nothing. I can't just sit around and do nothing. So I had a friend, uh, Martin Bennett, who went on to play in Weird Shapes and Belvoir. And oh, yes. another friend called Jack Watson, uh, who does a lot of sort of bluesy stuff around town. And um, they were like, oh, we've got a band and we just play instrumentals. Why don't you come and have a go at this? So I was friends with Martin from primary school and we were the only two people from the primary school who went to the secondary school. So we sort of, we talked a lot. We didn't really knock about it. We talked a lot. So I just thought, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And as I said, I've been like, because I wanted to get involved in music. When I saw that, I just started practising to pop songs as well just to test my range and then just so I knew where I was yeah so I just I just did it and it was great and we just did covers fine and then eventually wrote some stuff wasn't great um and then we performed uh, um two of the leavers assemblies um the year above us and then mine when I went and um a Christmas assembly Christmas assembly as well and it was great and I, and when I left school, I was always, always, even though I thought, yeah, who's going to want me in a band? I always was actively on the lookout to be in a band. And then one day, this is this this sounds like a fairy tale, but you can ask him. It's the 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 God's honest truth. I knew a lad called Andy Freeman because uh, my girlfriend, his her, her best friend, was dating a guy called Andrew Freeman. He was in the band Glass Moths. Yeah, he's he's great, brilliant bass player. But one day, and this is the cause of the truth, a balloon was blowing down the street. So I thought, I'll have that balloon. balloon. I down. I thought, I'll have that balloon. And I, I, <laughs> the balloon was blowing down the street, and I chased it, and it fell. It fell. It sort of it lit. Um, it sort of rested up against a bus stop, like the the wind couldn't blow it any further, and it was just like resting against this bus stop. So I bent down and picked it up, and then when I when I stood up, Andrew Freeman was there. <laughs> And he was like, "All right," and we just talked, just to be polite, because as I say, our our um, partners at the time, girlfriends at the time, were um, knew each other, and we just got talking. And he went, "We've got a band, and we've been auditioning singers." And I just went, "I'll have a go." So the balloon led you. <laughs> honestly, it's like it's, it's ridiculous, but this this will have to be in the biopic of my life if I ever do something that's worth writing a biopic about. So yeah, um, I met him in a, the nightclub on the was it a nightclub or a pub on the, on the Friday the following that, and I saw him again, and he went, "Look, we're auditioning." It was a Friday. He went, "We're auditioning on Sunday. If you want to come down," uh, and I just did. I just I, I rocked up, 
I just thought I'll have a go, and I just was writing stuff, and my, my voice, my voice. But I think they just liked my enthusiasm. I don't think I was a very rough diamond. I want to say diamond rough. I don't know, but rough bit of coal again. Uh, but I was rough around the edges. But I was enthusiastic. I tried to write some stuff at, when we were there, just like I'll just try to get involved. And they were nice lads, and I got on. And um, Alan, bless him, he was from the Felons. He was in Goybo McElroy, and um, so we uh, we carried on our musical journey after that. For him. So those are the three. Three sort of like things that uh, that made me be in a band, I guess, or want to be in a band. Yes, interesting. Thinking more generally about these bands that you either were or still are a member of, and also perhaps your own preference in music, which I don't really know, but I'm just going to make an assumption here. Yeah. And also the artists you promote. Rock seems to be your genre more than any other. Now experimentation helps but according to you what would it take to stand out in a saturated society so and also thinking about these genres there's so much out there of the same thing um knowing the industry now uh, i'll i'll say a bleak answer and then i'll say a nice answer uh, knowing the industry now having money behind you it's it sounds awful but you look at the the lack of social mobility in music now, and it's just it's it makes me sad. It's probably it maybe always been there because I know obviously from the sixties and that you had a lot of art school and but it just felt more socially mobile sixties seventies eighties obviously punk new wave all felt very people from working class. But nowadays it's like a little hobby of mine. I mean I follow the social mobility report a lot um, and I always look for articles. Um, but anyone who's successful, I always just like to go on Wikipedia or check my sources and just find out a bit about the background. And nine times out of ten, or more often than not, maybe nine times out of ten is a bit strong, but more often than not, and the figures back this up, people can go and check it out, but they have a bit of money behind them to start with. They've not had to struggle. Um, I generally feel that now, the way that the industry's shaped, the industry comes very early to people, and labels are looking for a polished act, and the best way to have polished act is to have a lot of these things in place or have people guiding you, and the best way to get these things, sadly, is to pay money. And it sounds awful, but it's, I mean, it's not always the case. More often than not, as I said, it is. So that's the the bleak answer. When I look back in rose-tinted spectacles, I think that is the thing that the industry misses is a really good A&R system. And I know people keep telling me when I talk to people on talks or when I'm on panels that, that, that it's out there, but it isn't really, it doesn't. It doesn't rake, it doesn't rake through. It doesn't look through. It's like saying you, you, you um, I don't know, I'm going looking for gold. Uh, in the mountains but you just look on the top you need to sort of rake through and find things so that's the negative that's the negative answer but i don't think that's beyond adult. and i think hip-hop and grime have shown that and i think the the best ways to stand out is is just do things that you want to do first and foremost if you are not enjoying it if you set out to be to be an artist to just i don't know to make it big or to do it as a job nah good luck with that one um yeah um just enjoy it. As I said, for me, it's always been something that passion. So do it to enjoy. Do it that if nothing happened in 20, 30, 40 years, you're still enjoying it. Do that. Just enjoy it. Secondly, I'd say um, create little scenes. Create little scenes. Darlington, like I do a, an open mic called Soapbox Sessions, and I absolutely love it mm, yeah. because it is a little scene of, of people who, musicians and bands who from all who are doing really well at the moment, uh, Eve Conway, uh, you get Lovers, 
down. There's loads of people, loads of, I think Dalo Band, uh, the Legit Manaki lot, uh, Kush Noodle, uh, Jordy Nicholson. It's great. It's a dance. And I like it. And it, people sometimes say it's a click. It's into you. It's not. Anyone's welcome. But I like that. And that's a small, that's a small, small microcosm. But you look at like the lead scene when the, the leads indie scene of like Kai's Chiefs and stuff and uh, the grime scene in like London and Manchester and Birmingham. And Scotland do it really well. It's friends playing for each other and friends supporting each other and friends. And I think if you create a scene of people who enjoy it and who are friends and are having a good time, then industry folk want to get in on that because it's like a little secret. It's like if you do that to a child, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm showing you, but it's like if you hold something from a child and say you can't see this, they want to see it. And I think the industry yeah. operates like that. And as well, um, just do what you want. You talk about experimentation. Just do what you want. Don't follow follow trends. Because if you're following a trend, thinking that that's what the industry want, and I think with Spotify, that's become like a really that's a bad habit. A lot of people have. They follow Spotify playlists and they sometimes shape their music for that. Yeah. Don't do that. Do what you want to do because more often than not, if you're following a trend or a style, dream pop, for example, has been something that's very common. I can see that sort of eighty synth new waves coming back in now. But if you're following it, then then there's more likely it's gone, it's been and done. You're more, you're better off just doing your own thing and developing the fan base that way, or hoping that you get picked up when that comes sort of in fact uh, on vogue um, by bigger labels. But you're better off doing it. You look at all the, the a lot of the bands I like, like uh, I like a lot of stoner rock, garage rock, um, psych rock. It's just a, it's a scene within the scene. My dad was the same. He goes to watch folk and blues. It's not, yeah, you might not hear it on the radio everywhere, but people do well of it. People are buying the records. People are going to see the gigs. Mm. Because ultimately, they're creating a scene and they're doing stuff that they want to do, irrelevant, regardless of, of what the industry is doing. So in that respect, that's what I'd say. I mean, if you want to be a mainstream artist, then I guess you <laughs> just do whatever they say, I guess, or whatnot. But for me, yeah. for me as an artist, and I do use the word artist a lot, even though I don't have any training and uh, I've never been to art school or anything, I do call myself an artist because ultimately what I'm doing is expressing what I want and whether it's right or wrong or rubbish or good, that's what I've always done because ultimately I'm singing the songs and like I want to enjoy them and I want them to be reflective. And it's weird like when I listen back to some of the past work, I very very rarely listen back to stuff that I've done because that that music like sort of like Goy Boy or Felons, I will sometimes, but it very much reflects that epoch of time and sometimes I can't relate to it. I can't relate to what I was then, but it's good in a way and I hope other people can. But I think that that's, that's because I do take it as like an expression and, and something that, and it's very much stamped, it's imprinted with, with very much what I was going uh, through, what I was feeling, everything else at the time. So um, I hope, does that answer it in a roundabout way? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's great advice. Part two, the high cost of high achievement. Besides the creation side of being involved in the music industry, the bands putting together the music, lyrics, videos, and so forth, you have put on a large number of events over the years, especially in Darlington, like you've just mentioned, and also acted as a manager to some local musicians. One could say you have achieved a lot, in the industry, acted as a role model, and have shown yourself dedicated to the promotion of local music. There is a cost, however, when our responsibilities increase. Can you elaborate, firstly, on the full scope of your responsibilities, especially um, those in to do with the Tees Music Alliance? Yeah, uh, as well, just like I say that um, you say successful, I think some people are quite subjective at that, because 
my success has all been very grassroots but i do see that as success just to let you know like i do like helping artists early days diy independent so i know some people are like oh i've not heard about him in this conference or i don't know whatever because there is a there is a high end to the music industry which i do i do like to participate but i'm not active in and i have no interest of being active in um so just, are we talking locally or uh, yeah, locally or um okay. i think locally that's what i want I, that's what i care about well, that's why I do it. I mm -hmm. care about people who want yeah. to do well, and I care about people in this region, down at my town, Teesside, Tees Valley, mm -hmm. Northeast Newcastle. But yeah, I just wanted to say because I think some people might just say, "Oh, successful," but I feel I am. I feel I am because um, I feel I feel it does good. So that's success for me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll just tell you a bit about. So I mean, uh, promoter. Although I don't do events as much as what I used to, but I would still say I, I, I would promote events. As, um, I was doing little bits and bobs. I probably will go back to it, but we'll talk about that later on. Uh, I manage Eve Conway. What else do I do? Okay, yeah. So, uh, I, and as well, just mention as well, occasional broadcaster. I used to have a, an independent music uh, called right. The Grind. Forgot about that. Uh, I did some work on BBC T. Uh, but I'll tell you about my main. I'll just, they were just the sort of bits that, uh, that I've done or I, I sort of dip in. But, um, yes, no, that's interesting. Yeah. T's Music Alliance, uh, I think my main role is music development. So, once again, um, yeah. Putting on events, uh, industry events, masterclasses. I have a thing called Chris and Dave with my friend, uh, and oh, well, friend, he's my the person I work with who does the, uh, the 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 bookings of the bands. But yeah, Chris Cabea, me and him do a, a Tuesday clinic. Went before the lockdown, it was an actual place you could go every Tuesday, five till six. If you just wanted any advice, we try and point in the right direction. We've made it online now. We do it as a Zoom thing. So yeah, do we do that? Um, we did uh, on point, which was like a, a music conference earlier in the year. Um, we did a collaboration with NARC, who I also work for. I'll tell you a bit about my roles there, where that was like music masterclasses uh, with people who were doing well in the industry. Uh, it was called Tuesday DIY, so it was like also on a Tuesday, but it was like, yeah, it was how you would do things yourself. So, uh, and then On Point was more sort of industry-based and stuff. But just to give people knowledge, um, helping them, give it, enabling them as well. And Chris is good at that, at getting bands to say, well, why don't you just put your own your own night on so the enabling bands uh look showing where they could maybe get some funding I've, I've assisted a couple of artists and directing them to, to maybe funding pots to allow things to to happen and the other thing as well is the uh, i think that's everything in my role as music development basically just to summarize it's just to help help and enable really and um and to inform uh, that's the main thing that i like to do and we do it for various ways we started doing a little um zoom podcasty chat thing as well with local artists trying to tell people a bit about what they're going on trying to inspire as well by what by as i said what we were talking about before but people leading the way it's good to to show these people uh, to other people who might be thinking of being an artist themselves uh, yeah and then obviously narc as you as you said before uh narc i do um the online uh, web editor so uh, the stuff that doesn't make the magazine either for um just too much not enough room um doesn't quite fit the too late on submissions or just stuff i like yeah so um stuff as i say it's so it's 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 not stuff that's rejected by the magazine but it's either stuff that it's stuff that that works better on the website for example the other thing as well is like the video exclusives and the more multimedia stuff it's going to work better on the website so i enjoy it I, I, I absolutely love it and it's it's great to sort of report on what's going on uh, and yeah as i say we've been doing some stuff with um yeah, we did the Tuesday DIY thing, and, and Claire is absolutely fantastic. She's someone who's like, who's a has the same ethos as me in music in terms of wanting to support and promote. It's great. So yeah, it's it's great. Like Tease Me Clients and Narc, great fits for me, and that's what I do. 
Well, that sounds really great. I mean, involved, you've got loads of different roles there. And for listeners, if you do want to find out more about NARC magazine, you can check out episode five, I think it is. Um, It's got a full interview with both Claire, the editor, and also David as web editor. Now, you have mentioned in past interviews, this one, the one that I did previously about your role in NARC as well, that you have experienced burnout, especially because of event management, I think you said. Now, burnout is one of those words that is sometimes hard to define. We don't always know if we are experiencing it or not. From your previous experience, what do you think it is? What does it feel like? Um, there was a was it an Outer Limits or a Twilight Zone show, and basically people were trapped in a simulation, and when they went to leave the town, they couldn't go any further. There wasn't a wall there. Just they got to a certain point leaving the town, and they couldn't go any further. And to me, that's burnout. Like, it's literally a point where your body says no. And you get the sort of, like, the 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 leading up to it, you're more tired. I mean, there's the elements of burnout. But for me, burnout is, there's the stuff leading up to it, so the long hours, the tiredness, the anxiety, the depression, blah, blah, blah. But there's a point which, for me, it's almost, it's the recognition of burnout for me is that, is that where you hit a wall and you either your brain, your body, it just says no. It's just you just can't go any further, and it's it's yeah. It's it just says it just says enough, and it's 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 very scary. Um, it's very you feel like you aren't in control, a bit powerless. As I say, you you switch from anxiety, depression. You feel very low self worth, uh, and it just yeah, there's physical elements to it as well. Um, I think when I experienced burnout, that was. That was, it was just a day where I just couldn't do it. It Just I just couldn't do it, and it was a mental thing and a physical thing, and I just threw up, and it just, yeah, my body just went no. It's just time to stop. Time to stop. You've been. It's almost like it just your body's great. Body's main premise, that its main drive is survival. So eventually, it just says you can deny it and i was in denial you can deny it as much as you want but there's a there's a point where your brain and your body just says it's gonna have to stop and i suppose i've speak speak to a lot of promoters as well i have a lot of friends with promoters and speak to someone who a prominent promoter who does a big festival and he just he said the same like around festival times illness and um fatigue mental fatigue and and it's it's there it's there and sometimes though sometimes people are very strong i mean i guess it's individual as well some people are very hardy uh, hardness sort of comes in and they can overcome it but there was yeah for when i suffered it badly in from the creative mm-hmm. in the creative art like it was but i just couldn't go any further so that's um it's basically just when you can't carry on and then unfortunately in these cases like especially when you're very passionate about what you do you you do feel the pressure that yeah okay, yeah i do need to carry on <laughs> i can't why, just why can't yeah. i do this like i want to do it yeah but i can't yeah. and it, it's 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 scary. Mm. You don't. You, you've lost control. Yeah. You've lost your body's one. It's fighting. It's fighting for you. Really, it's fighting back. It's saying, "Look, this can't go on." And it, yeah, it must be a defense mechanism. But yeah, that's that's to me. That to me. That's what, how I how I feel mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So, like I said, it it's occurs when we're really dedicated to our work, and we have a high drive to achieve and be seen as successful. In fact, we 
we have started using this term more often, I think, as a result of our living conditions during lockdown, during which we had to work at home while taking care of household responsibilities, child schooling responsibilities, and so forth. So considering what we are experiencing at the moment, with venues still being closed on the one hand, but also more generally for someone working within music and the creative industry, what would lead to this condition? Uh, I mean, something that would probably an umbrella thing that could that would sort of summarise it in in terms of what's happening now and um, what happens to me, what happened to me, or what the industry that I think the worst part of it is is uncertainty. It's an industry where you just don't know, and sometimes as well, it's the helplessness. It's out of your control, and you just have to deal with it, and you have to deal with the consequences through no fault of your own. I'll use promotion as an example. So you put on a gig, you don't know how many people are going to come. You've got all the sort of like the, the financial implications. Are you going to make your money back? Are you going to be broke from this? And um, then there's all the logistical issues. The PA blows up on the night. The band is sick and you've just spent all that money promoting it. It's out of your control through no fault of your own. And you can, there's, there's times I've put on shows and I've put so much effort into it for on the day or the week of it to just go absolutely. and. Probably for me, and I don't think I've ever openly admitted this before, but I was when I when I suffered burnout, I I done I did a festival called Music Box, which was quite successful and a lot of hard work. Yeah, I remember. I tried to do two new festivals <laughs> in the same year, so Music Box was in June, and then I did a thing at the, the Georgian Theatre in the Green Room, which I re- I really wanted to do as well, called Day In Day Out. It was like electronic um, music festival, so anything that was electronic. Because with the Black Sheep of Dickens, I was really getting into my electronic music, and I wanted to showcase. I was speaking to Bob Fisher. Uh, well, I listened to Bob Fisher's show uh, when he was doing introduction, and he just had so much great electronic music. And I was like, "Why is this? Why is this not getting showcased?" But a lot of it is just done in people's bedrooms, and they're happy with that. But I wanted to get it out there, so I did that. And then uh, I set up an organisation with uh, Sarah Wilson and Rob Irish called Tracks, which is a, yeah. a, a, an organisation to to help yeah. music and cultivate and showcase music in Darlington. And we decided to do a big, a big festival called Last Train Home, um, near the train station, Wait. in a, in a, in a, um, in a, an area that never had a festival, and I don't think wanted a festival. Um, we thought we we had this ideal idealistic view that there's all these great venues and spaces. We'll just go and ask them. They'll say, "Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we'd love a festival," and then we'll just put it on, and then. Um, there was a train strike. There was a train strike. So the whole concept, the whole concept of the festival was just was just gone. So the, the whole point was is that all the band right. finished before the last train back, and we got as far back as yeah. Hartlepool. So if you wanted to come from Hartlepool, uh, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, something. <laughs> I remember that I actually attended this one. <laughs> yeah, so that happened, and yeah. then and then there was just loads of bands who just, in mm. my in my opinion. The, the band or the agent that just sort of down load of rubbish just started cancelling last minute just with really awful excuses and that was the that was the trigger for me because that started to go wrong and I just I was really like I just need to get through it. I just need to get through it. And that that's what did it for me. And it was just factors outside of control. You fight in fire and it's relentless and it doesn't and it doesn't hide. It's not business hours. It's not nine or five. You get an email at eleven at night, there's an issue. You you can't just go to bed. You need to address it. Um so yeah, that's for me, that's 
that that those are the main things that I think encompass now with obviously the corona and you've got yeah. the uncertainty of whether your venue's going to stay open. You've got the roadmap, mm -hmm. the government's roadmap, which has no not like no sort of dates or anything. Like there's no there doesn't seem to be any assistance at the moment. Where's the money coming from? What's going to happen? When can I start putting gigs on? When can I start booking shows on? It's just and it's out of your it's out of your hands. And I think I mean that. Those are the two that I think can capture it. But then there's also the, I guess, like long hours, late nights. Um, and as well, don't forget, with, with music, it's a passion. So people will put probably more effort into it. They'll work an extra two hours for free because they love music and they want this event to happen or they want this band to have something or help or whatever. And it's, it's like when I worked in aerospace, I was just off. Like I couldn't care. I, planes could be falling from the sky. It wasn't like that. But I generally you had your working hours. That was it. Yeah, there was a split because it you worked hard. It was awful, and I just. But now I'm not like I look at my weekly hours sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I've probably worked an extra ten hours, and I'll never say anything because to me, the nature of the job is is about it. Just for me, because I'm from a background of you have set hours and you work. Like the creative industries, there is element of creating and planning and researching, and I don't take it as work. I don't think it's work because I'm not. It's just because I've been indoctrinated to to because I'm not shutting something in on a spreadsheet or something. I don't see it as work, so I'll just add what I think some work to it. So I could do a piece of work. I don't know what that would be. And I might have an hour or two or three researching it and looking it up and contacting people and networking and meeting. And I just like, that's not work. Now's the work. So I'll have already done two or three hours. And then there's like a three or four hour jump. I'm like, yeah. there's the work. And you've done the, you've done seven hours, but you're only acknowledging four. Um, so I think there's those elements as well. It is, it's a passion yeah. and it's a hobby to people and they will put extra effort in. So, um, yeah, and there's the drink element and there's all the, the various, uh, yeah, as so late nights, there's – Free drinks, that's something that I, that I had to sort of knock on the head when I was doing events because it's just, it's really free drink, free drink, free drink. Like, it just, it's unhealthy. Are like you drinking? For me, it was just like, because the venues I work for are really sort of uh, accommodate and it was just like free drink, free drink, and then late hours, free drinks, lots of stress, can't cut off. Um, or it's uncontrollable. You're on a knife edge all the time. You're always like, you're always expecting something to go wrong. It's, it's not, it's not a great, it's not a great mix. No, and it's not sustainable, I, I don't yeah, think. It, it really isn't. So what was your experience of the effect of this on your life and what did you do as a result? Like at what point did you say, okay, I need to change something? Well, I'll, as I say, so I, I went to go, I'd come back from holiday. I had, a, I had a, a week's holiday, I think it was a week before the festival. But when I left the festival, everything was roughly in place. When I came back, there was some... As I said, everyone just started pulling out, and I just I'd gone from that sort of like restful having a holiday to just it was instant. It was all it was just instant, and uh, I just that that switch. I don't know if it was that juxtaposition, that sort of going from that state to just straight into that state. It just was very polarized. So basically, I remember going for a meeting about last train home. I think it was the last meeting, and I walked. I left the house. I had to psych myself up. It didn't feel any different the day I got up. I was like, oh, I had to psych myself up. And I literally, I walked a couple of steps up the street and I just, I was just sick. I was just sick. And then the anxiety, I just felt anxiety and I just felt drained. And I had to come in and I remember sitting at my kitchen table and I just cried. And it was awful. And yeah, it was, I hadn't felt anything like that. And my body just said no more. And I just felt ill. There was like physical symptoms as well manifest. I said to people, because... 
I didn't attend. I didn't attend the. I didn't even attend. I, I feel awful now, but I was. I was literally ill. I didn't attend the the actual the last train home. Sarah and Rob bless them. They did it. They had to sort of like monitor the day and run the day and stuff. Um, and I was saying I was ill, and I did just tell people I was ill. I didn't. I was very ashamed. I didn't tell people the actual mental implications of it. I just said I was ill, which wasn't a lie. It was just a part truth. Um, so yeah, and it was. I get. So it was the second part was sort of how I came out of that. Is that right? Yeah. What What did you do as a consequence? Yeah. Because I think there is a barrier to acknowledging, like, well, not publicly, but like just talking about it and then maybe changing something. So what did I you did do? The, the first thing I did was I re, I did reflect. I did reflect. I started to think. Then, like, I was just I was on autopilot or adrenaline mode or what. And I started to think back to my behaviour. I was very short with people. Um, there was times where people would be talking to me and I just didn't talk back. Like it was almost like I knew it was happening. And and, and I'm someone who's very um, conscious of manners. Uh, I do like to, I do think that you should treat people with respect and be polite if you can. I just wasn't doing that. And I wasn't acknowledging that I wasn't doing that. It was almost like I was just within myself. I just felt I was on sort of like, uh, yeah, like an autopilot or, or a defense mode. I was just living in myself. And, um, it sounds it sounds shit, but basically I just closed. And this is wrong. This is where I, I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. And this is where this is why I, I'm glad that we're talking about it now because I didn't manage it right. So basically, I just shut myself off. I shut myself off from everyone. I didn't answer calls. I think I switched off my Facebook. Um, I just didn't talk or address any. And it's awful because it, that's when for me, like I left. I didn't leave. I don't think I ever even formally left tracks. Um, but I just didn't talk to Sarah and Rob, and I felt awful because they were my friends. But I just couldn't. I don't know whether it was a it was a mixture. It was obviously I was ashamed. I just I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't cope. I'd just gone. I'd literally just gone. And I think from September till January, February, I was just I literally just retreated. I don't know. It, it was. I, I mean, in hindsight, I sometimes think, oh, it was very cowardly and it was very awful. And I put a lot of people in an awful position just by not responding. But I just, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I was very um, introverted and um, sort of introspective. And and as well, I mean, the positive element was I started to look, because I, I had a little girl as well. Um, uh, Juno was born um, and she was, was she about one at the time? And I just wasn't paying her any attention. And the guilt from that, the guilt from that was another thing that really sort of, that I remember once I went to, I went to spend the day with her and I remember it very, very vividly. It was probably one of the turning points in hindsight. Um, and we were planning the day out and I was just going to take her out and she was just walking and she couldn't really talk very much. She was, she was, she was quite engaging though. And I was going to go out and something went wrong and I ended up on my laptop for four hours and I remember her, and it, it's very sad. I, I remember her coming up to me and like just saying, "Like I want to play, I want to play." And it just, yeah. I just, I blanked it out. I blanked it out. I just was like, "I need to do this," yeah. and she, she was second priority. And so when I had that sort of downtime, I did just sort of focus a lot on her um, and and mm -hmm. family life. And it was, yeah. yeah, it wasn't a good time. Um, it sounds it sounds of... awful, but I just proper bloke like I just wrote it out. And it was wrong. I should have spoke to people, and I should have been more honest, and I should have been more upfront from the start. Um, my obviously Jen and Juno and my family were very good. Um, 
but yeah, I think a lot of people just thought, oh, he's being flaky, or he's just being a dick, or whatever, sorry for swearing again, but he's just being an idiot. Okay. He, just, he doesn't care. I did care, but I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't face it. Um, and I think for me, this, the sort of thing that, that then got me out of it, because th there's two things that I think that, that, that got me out of it, because I, I felt ready to walk away. I really felt ready to walk away. This industry, I've let the industry down for a start. I've let the, I've let the people of Dalton down. I've let my friends down. I've let the musicians down. Um, I've let loads of people who'd invested a lot of time uh, and energy in, into me and the things I was doing, I'd let them down. And I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't face it. I'd, I couldn't face doing a single thing again. But there was two things I would say that probably got me back round. Uh, obviously, well, three things. My family, for a start. I think be working at the Tees Music Alliance, I mean, at the time... At the time, so I was doing the track stuff and I was doing a lot of stuff off my own back, but I was doing sort of like part-time work at the TMA. And the fact that okay. it just kept me in the industry and it just I just sort of focused on, I just thought, well, I'll just do some marketing well and I'll just do bits and bobs and I'll just do my actual role well without without going above and beyond like I was doing all the time. And being in it and it kept me in it and, and it, 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 it gave me a sense of worth again. Um, and I think the other thing as well is... Um, then in was it March or April? I think we talked about this last time. Was yes. I was ready to walk. I, I I felt I just I just felt like what can I do now? What could I possibly do now? I can't. I want to help and I want to be a part. And I felt I was ready to be a part again. But what could I do? What could I do? And then an advert, uh, an email came out, and Claire from Narc was saying, "Oh, um, mm -hmm. I need to. Uh, I'm looking for a web editor." And it just felt like it was right, same as what I was talking about with the balloon. I don't believe in fate or anything, but just some things just work out, and you've got to take advantage of it. You've got to take advantage of it when it does. And I just thought I'll just go for that, and it was honestly one of the best things that I've, I've ever did, and I absolutely loved it. And um, Stuff for me, I'm always driven by legacy, not in a grand sense, but just will some good come from that? Um, will it help an artist? Will it give them exposure, a platform? And um, I felt it, I felt NARC did, um, and in a way that it wasn't, pa it was passive, I guess, but faceless. It wasn't frontline. I wasn't like, as I say, promoting it and doing the door, doing the posters, doing like, yeah, doing everything. Really reflect and talk and because i'm very passionate and and it was a, a really good way, place to sort of channel my passion and as i said um with claire like yeah i think we've sort of cut from the same cloth same as the people from the tma um and it's good to be around people like that and i felt that just just staying just as i said doing my doing my tma stuff and doing my and then starting the narc stuff and i just felt it just felt right again um and little by little it's sort of built up and as i said we've done some great uh, music development stuff well, thank you for sharing that because I think it is something people experience and they don't always know how to handle it. And hard. Hard. yes. And really it's by listening, something. yeah. And by listening and hearing somebody else sharing it, it mm. it does would help them perhaps acknowledge and see it in themselves as well. So thank you. That's why I can't do it because I just want I just wanted to just, just let people know that it's not I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of the, the outcomes and the consequences, but yeah. I'm not ashamed of how I was feeling. Like, And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the industry no. as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people who just think it's normal as well. We just normalize it, mm -hmm. just part of it, and it isn't. It really yes. isn't. Part three, finding the hidden balance. So when we start overworking ourselves by never switching off, doing long hours, always saying yes, 
And then even during our time of always thinking and speaking about work, it becomes unhealthy, of course, and we suffer. Our emotional and physical state also affect those around us and sometimes our work and personal relationships become toxic. But more than anything, we lose perspective about what is perhaps important. Do you agree and how do you maintain perspective now in your life? I think for me it's just it's not it's not the be all and end all. Like the world isn't going to end. I think that's what I thought. I got so involved in it and I think we were talking on the, the previous podcast is that I felt my, my sort of main driving forces were that I want people to be to see that this is going on and I'm very much I hate gatekeepers and I want to I always want to offer paths to people that in the arts in music who want to do something and I was driven by that and I thought if I'm not putting events on how will people be because I was inspired by watching people so like I always thought that that'd be a way or a great platform to show the people of the town and they're not seeing some of the great stuff that's going on in the town or from outside the town so I was really driven by that and I sort of it's unrealistic now looking back I couldn't I couldn't be the only I felt like I was just had to just do something and there was some like weeks I look back at now Facebook when it shows you all those memories we're doing like six or seven events in a week yeah. and it's just it's 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 like how that's not viable you can't keep doing that um I don't know why I felt I needed to it was like I was I was like it was a compulsion I had to do it because I felt that if I stopped it would stop and have stopped and yeah there's not as much nowadays but what I try and do now is try and enable as the word used before but just try and give people the the tools or the knowledge and I feel that's important uh, it's not just on me and it never was and to think of it I don't even know if it's an ego thing or what it never was but I just it came from the best place I just wanted to help it's all I want to do I always just want to help um and I want to give opportunity and um so yeah, now I think I just think like I just it's about I've sort of changed my my stance. I'm less I'm still hands on, but I'm I'm more I'm more about trying to just um, not inspire, but just plant the seeds. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think as well, it sounds awful. Or but behind the scenes, perhaps. Yeah, work behind the scenes. Yeah. Like I was going to use the word puppeteer, but that sounds really controlled. Okay. But do you know what I mean? Like little, yeah. little bits, little bits of help, yeah. helping people. Just mm-hmm. yeah, just little sort of what like sparks to try and get things going. I guess if you had to, I'm trying to think like mm-hmm. a, like an engine. I guess just the. Yeah. I, I would like to try and be the flame. That just but the other thing as well is it sounds awful, but I have to sort of really um, suppress my natural instinct is i must work and I, I work really hard but i must work at about 40 percent capacity um in terms of um like i have ideas all the time and i have no doubt that an old me from four years ago would have put them all into practice um mm-hmm. and now i just think oh that'd be a great idea and i just have to stop myself and i try i try and pass them off hoping that someone else will do them I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's just probably the creative in me is that I used to love, like, didn't work out, but I love the fact that Last Train Home's a thing now, even though Sarah and Rob yeah. sort of picked it up and they do the hard work now. But Music Box and, and um, uh, Bruja was a night where I just wanted to do an alt rock night in Darlington. And everyone was like, no one's going to like that. But it, we, we were getting like 80 people in 
on a Saturday night in Dallas, which is great, eight two hundred people, which is fantastic to watch bands in a, in a in a in a room in in a upstairs in a in a pub in Dallas. Sunday nights, no one's going to come out on a Sunday night. Soapbox is one of the the busiest nights that the Hole in the Wall has uh, on a Sunday. People come out because they go specifically for it, and it's great to to have these things and for to see them to actualize them. And I think that's probably from the I don't know whether it's from my background or what, but like it just. It's great to actually put them and make them a real thing. It may, like okay. in a world where, in sort of like a background where it just always felt it's not a thing, it's out, it's just slightly out. To actually be able to say, this is it, it's done. And I guess the same with songs and stuff. And, and so I guess that the, the creative element is there. Uh, but yeah, I oppress, uh, it sounds awful. And if any of my employees are listening, I do work hard. But I reckon creative, like in terms of ideas and putting ideas in there. Uh, in a practice, I think I work at about forty. I'll say for I've even wrote the figure down forty percent. I don't know how you would even quantify that. Right. Um. So these days, how do you measure what you enjoy doing, what you want to achieve, and how you can combine that with a healthy mental, emotional, and physical existence? And this is more as advice to listeners. What would you tell them how to balance these different things? Try and give yourself working time is important um also as well try and switch off your smartphone or put your laptop down try and have breaks from it um i don't have certain work emails on my phone because i'll just check it i don't want to know about it if i'm at flamingo land i don't i don't want to know about it i just want my work time and my lifetime like my family time try and have breaks that's something i'm really bad at now i should have a break more often just try and have a break go and read a book have, have a sandwich try just do that yeah, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, if if stuff goes wrong, if if like if yeah. that's the thing is, don't punish. And if you punish yourself, you end up in a, a mindset, or you start saying that's rubbish, or you could have done that, and what ifs, and ifs and buts, and just just it's it's in the grand scheme of things. And I don't mean to sort of like blow it out of proportion, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not. You're trying your best. I'm trying. You're trying your best to do something. If you work in the arts, if you're the creative industry or the music industry or whatever, you're trying to do something good and you try and do something that inspires people. And it doesn't always go right. That's life. And it's just trying to sort of don't get into those mindsets where you be hard on yourself. If you try and you you've done a good, you've tried your best and you, your intentions are good. That's all you can do. Um, don't let anyone else say otherwise. So yeah, I guess just try and. Separate your life. And I guess exercise is in that, but... Um, <laughs> How, how's that going? <laughs> I need to take that up myself. Uh, I bought a bike and then uh, I brought the back wheel of the bike straight away. And, like, and I would have been now a month into it because I was absolutely loving it. And I was just cycling. Yeah. So um, that's something I need to... Highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. I, I love do it. it. I love it. And I, as I say, I used to do sport all the time, but you just get into mm. that office routine of just working and being tired when you get home. And um, starting that again, I used to swim a lot as well. And um, when hopefully once that's up and running, I can do. But th when I'm exercising, I feel lovely. I don't know why I don't do it, but hopefully I get. So exercise as well, I should say that because mm -hmm. it's something I should do myself. And I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't preach it if I'm not doing it, but I want to. So you should want to as well. Great. And then lastly, and I think this is quite important, and we can probably have a whole podcast just on this question alone. Briefly, what do we need most in the music industry for artists to thrive now and going into the future? For a start, and this is something that I've had a lot of experience with, and it's an attitudinal thing, is um, it's value arts. And don't just value it from a point of that looks pretty. 
value its effect on the culture and ethos and psychology and processes of society because ultimately it's 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 cohesive it gives people an outlet i mean you look at lockdown I mean, lockdown is a great example people have turned to books uh, computer games um, films uh, tv podcasts art art people have turned to art so don't underestimate it in that respect in a cultural sort of respect and the joy it brings people and the release it brings people and the relief it brings people um from a psychological sort of side of things but also as well it's economically it, it brings more the creative industries brings more money in than the banking industry so i was brought up all my life to think it's it's not it's not viable it is viable and it brings a lot of money in this country so i think the the attitude to it events if you think about events if you think about as i say the media uh business in terms of graphic design or um yeah even spot for what we listen to the radio like what we um uh, go into gigs it's 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 it brings so much money and not just that the knock-on effect so venues have knock-on effects with, with the local eateries and and pubs and and it has so much value in all respects so just i think the value is start getting that across i don't i don't know if it's still if that attitude exists but i feel it does um and it's just, it's just not knowledge it's just it's not it's just i won't say ignorance but i just think people don't know and it is it's one of our biggest exports and we are still a world leader um if you think about like we're going to fall apart we, god knows what brexit uh, will bring but we're still whatever we are we're still one of the world leaders in in all forms of art and we should really cherish that. It's something to be massively That's proud of. When people say, are you proud of this country? It's one of the things, it's culture now and in the past. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I think that, and as well, um, pay artists, people in terms of value, just like pay people the right, like people are doing that in terms of getting paid. There's so many people I know who just work um, loads of stuff for free. And they do it at first, and sometimes you have to do it, I guess, to build a portfolio or stuff, but then people just start expecting it for free. Could you just do as this, like, I know, graphic design friends who just people think, oh, what, you have to pay for the graphic design? Or, oh, I have to pay to record. How much is that an hour to record? Like, it's, it's someone's job, and they're providing a service, so people should get paid. And I think sort of on the payment side of things is grants, I think, like, there's loads of people I know who work in the industry who have a job, and then they do this stuff and it does a lot of good, but it's not seen as their main. They have an income and then they have this. And I feel if they got paid properly and I feel if there was like grants as well where you could actually see. And I don't mean like large, uh, like decentralize it a bit, offer smaller grants. I know a lot of people do this and local authorities do it and um, uh, PRS and uh, foundation and ask they might do it i don't know if that's going to but smaller grants to individuals who, who are looking to undergo a project that, that will benefit and and give it making it so they're not having to work 40 hour a week and then come home and then work till like two three in the morning on something else they feel they don't make money from i feel that there's, there's like it's like a, a two-sided thing i think there should be it should be funded and I, I think that there's certain elements of the arts that has a lot of money that's overfunded and yeah, so I think value is is value, and then as well, um, just like try and maybe look at venues, and I think venues are, I think venues and 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 the industry are looking at. I think we talked about like when I was a promoter getting loads of free drink, and when I went to some of these music conferences, they are talking about like diet and people just eating junk food on the road and um, just drinking a lot. But uh, just practices in general throughout the industry as a performer, or if you work in industry, you work in long hours. You're working too many hours. 
taking work home. It's really easy to do. It's trying to find like, it's for example, on my phone uh, with the, the, the social media side of things, it's dead easy for me to just spend 10, 15 minutes just doing a post because I've got the phone. I can do it. It's work. Ultimately, it's work. And it's et into any anything that I'm doing that might be leisurely. And my brain's gone then. And I'm not resting. So like trying to find ways to divide, just practices, divide the day. Um, yeah, you're working long hours. And as well, just w- watching out for the burnout. I guess, I mean, you know, help musicians are doing a lot of stuff, but looking out for the signs, trying to be more proactive. It's happening. I can see it happening. What can we do? I know there's like counselors and stuff that help musicians um, can offer. Uh, I know a few other organizations are doing it, but um, yeah. So I guess, is yeah, I think that's, that's okay. Isn't no, it? That's great. Some powerful suggestions there. Thank you so much, David, for joining me today. And I've just got a few quick questions so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. What is the most recent film series you watched or podcast you listened to or book you read? I watched uh, a TV TV series that I've absolutely got hooked into that I've been wanting to watch for ages. Um, Succession. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about... um, It's it's basically like a take on your Rupert Murdoch's Trumps about these sort of mass wealthy empires in America that run media and and uh, big conglomerates and whatnot. And it's about the sort of like that, that high business life. And it's won I think won a few Emmys and um, various other awards. And it's something I've also oh, I'll try I'll give that a watch. And I watched it and it's it's so engrossing. And you oh, I'm going to hate these people, but you start to start to not you start to empathize and yeah that succession okay. uh, brilliant it's great and i also watched a film called adam which was really good um oh. it's about, it about? Um, it's a young boy who uh, his sister um lives in new york and he goes to visit her one summer and he, he's um he's he gets sort of like um involved in the the lgbtq plus sort of scene mm-hmm. going on there uh, and he falls in love with a, a girl who's a lesbian uh, but she thinks that he's uh, trans i think and um it's it's okay. It, it's it's really good. It's 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 it's. I can't describe it. I wouldn't say it was a comedy. I wouldn't say it was drama. It's got all elements. It just it's just really it's just really good. And it was interesting as well for me, like to just to, to learn. Um, I like it. It just had everything. Everything. I just think it's like, really engaging. Watching it was it was quite heartfelt and yeah, just it made me feel lots of different things. So I always think that's a good kind of a film. Right. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? There might be more than one, but if you can give me one important truth. I mean, if it wasn't an important truth, uh, truth, I would have said uh, Ben Wheatley's not a great director. Uh, he's not a great <laughs> filmmaker. Um, I think people would hate me for saying that, but that's not an important truth. Um, I think an important truth that a lot of my friends agree with me, disagree with me on, and I don't know whether it's because I hark on about it too much or whether it's just because I'm just like, I don't know, I identify as like a working class, like, even though I'm, I'm, I couldn't be further from what you would see as a working class lad. But I am from a council estate, but um, and I, I have a, a sort of like uh, a weird interest to sort of read up about like social mobility and stuff. I guess it's just because it's close to the heart. But one thing I would say, and a lot of my friends disagree with, is I think that if you had two people who have similar abilities and similar um, work ethics and drive, the one from the wealthier family would nine would more would always or usually uh be more successful and do better and a lot of my friends disagree because i think that some of my friends i have friends from all walks of life is i feel that they think that i'm undermining the effort that that the other person with the money 
would have the the effort that he would have taken for him to do well. I'm not undermining that. I'm just saying that there's you have the certain things uh, like oh, the that we were talking about before, like there's, 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 there's factors that can block progression um, if you don't have money. Um, if I could get that out, but yeah, I would say that's not a popular one. I don't talk about it over drinks anymore because it's usually quite divisive. <laughs> no, that's not, uh, not one of those things. <laughs> I would say that. I would say that. That I mean, that's backed up by facts, but a lot of people disagree mm -hmm. with. Me. I think that I'm undermining um, the hard work that goes into it from people who, who are from uh, more affluent backgrounds, which I'm not. I'm yeah. just saying that there's barriers that you might not understand uh, if you're from a lower income background. Mm -hmm. No, that is true. And can you tell us about the biggest challenge you have overcome in your life? I think just life in general. Just doing what I am now when I think about where I'm from. I just think just, I was just, I've been in, like, I'm just like work in progress. I wasn't, I don't think I was ever given the sort of skills or, um, I don't know, just any of any of the tools needed to sort of succeed uh, in life. Uh, and I probably haven't succeeded. I feel I have succeeded. I mean, uh, but probably not in the sense where people would recognize me as succeeded. But I feel I've done quite well to to overcome. It's not even overcome it. It's just sort of just to try and just better myself all the time. It doesn't always work. But just try and always be a work in progress. And, and yeah, so getting to this point is my, from life. Life's the obstacle and getting to this point is the achievement. Mm -hmm. Great. And then ooh, I'm looking forward to your answer to this. What is the first place or country that you will visit when all restrictions have been lifted? Um, I think the obvious answer uh, for those who know me is uh, it's Berlin. I uh, absolutely love the place. Um, I go, I try and go once a year. It's, I'll just, I was going to go this year. It's probably not going to happen. I'll, as soon as, as soon as there's any sort of um, option to do so, I'll just go. I absolutely, I just get so immersed in its cult. I mean, I, I, I I'm a sort of amateur, not amateur, I wouldn't say amateur historian, I've studied A-level and stuff, but I love history, as a lot of people do, but it's just, it's just culture, history, people are great, the nightlife's great, some great scenes are going on that I just, yeah, that I just, I just love it, yeah, so it's, um, I would say Berlin, definitely Berlin. All right, and then I believe you have given quite a lot of advice already for someone wishing to enter a career in music. But if you had to maybe just summarize it into one thing, what would it be? Uh, the, my advice would literally be just do it. Just okay. It sounds obvious, but just like if you don't do it, you'll never know. And uh, don't listen to other people. Not, uh, a lot of people don't want you to do well or don't want you to do anything different, probably because they've, they've scared themselves. I always find that all the advice that I've got from everyone about how I should live my life has always been just rubbish uh, and based on not knowing or being scared uh, to do it themselves. So they sort of want to almost hold you back with their advice. Do it. Just do it. Do it. Don't worry about anything. Just do it. If it fails, it's a great story to tell people on a podcast like this. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, David. It has been very, very interesting. And thank you for sharing your story. No, it's been great, and uh, thank you very much for having me, uh, Karina. As I said, I think it's quite important that I just be uh, honest and just this. I think it's good, cathartic for me as well, so thank you very much. So if you are an aspiring musician or interested in the music industry and you would like some more advice, you can contact David. Uh, he runs the consulting sessions and workshops with Chris Cobain as part of the Tease Music Alliance.
he has been part of some pretty awesome bands who wrote and some of which still write a variety of melancholic, dark and some upbeat rock numbers. I will include all the links in the show notes and you can have listen on Spotify and also follow them on their social media channels. As always, just a couple of things before I go. Firstly, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave me a rating and review. I generally love hearing your feedback, even if it's just one word. For those of you who don't know yet, we're on YouTube and this month will be dedicated to developing our channel. I cannot wait to share these developments and new videos with you. So please have a look. Give me a big thumbs up and subscribe there too. All links will be posted in the show notes. Last but not least, by liking and sharing this podcast episode on social media, these stories about entrepreneurs, creatives and community transformation can reach as many people as possible. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.